You know, it was, oh, it was last, it was a couple of days, it was Friday morning. I was uh, getting up and um, rising up. I have a little, like it's, like it's an old, old alarm clock, old alarm radio clock that uh, goes off and wakes, starts waking me up and I press the snooze button again and it goes <laughs> on for a while. But the, um, the station I was listening to on Friday morning, uh, it, when it came on, it was a news station, a local news station here in the city, it, it said that the BART had been delayed. And the reason BART had been delayed was because evidently a young man, and they weren't sure the reason why, but he had fallen off. They think it was medically related. They weren't sure, um, but he had fallen off onto the BART tracks. And this was in Orinda. Then the reporter said, but you know what happened was that, so things were delayed, but he said, but the good news is that he was helped out by a lot of good people. And then he said, by a lot of good people, by Good Samaritans. And immediately I woke up. I said, Good Samaritans, Samaritans, yes, that's what I've been talking about. Samaritans. And so there was doubly good news for me. One, I was going, Wow, you know, one, that's great. Everybody did that. Uh, you know, he's okay. But I thought, Man, you know, it's amazing because it was over 2,000 years ago that Jesus had this conversation in front of a, a group of people, but he was talking and interacting with this religious teacher, and he brought up the, a story. The Good Samaritan. And now, the, the, I don't even know if the reporter even knew specifically the origin of Good Samaritan. But he knew what it meant. And it meant that when someone helps someone else out, that, you're being a Good Samaritan. You're, you're showing up for someone, and you're being there, and you're, 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 you know, you're giving something of yourself. You're taking a risk. And that, as every, in, in his mind, that was a wonderful thing. And he was really proud about that, happy for it. And again, it reminds us that you know, this was a teaching Jesus gave. And I was thinking about that, thinking about how it's made its way into our vernacular as a culture, and how even when people don't necessarily know where it came from, they know what it means. And then I was thinking about another story that I had read. It was actually a, it was actually an article that I had read a few months back in October of last year, and um, it it had sort of caught my attention as well because I was thinking about the Love the Work series and was thinking about the Good Samaritan. It was on my mind. And the article was entitled, The uh, Gadget and the Bad Samaritan. And I said, oh, that's, I wonder what that's about, right? So I started reading it, and it really got my attention. In fact, this is, you know, it was from a, a national publication, but they, were referring, they opened up their story by referring to an incident that occurred in San Francisco in late September. And the author um, wrote this. He said, he said, in late September, on a crowded commuter train in San Francisco, a man shot and killed 20-year-old student Justin Valdez. And the security footage shows that before the gunman fired, he waved around his 45 caliber pistol and at one point even pointed it across the aisle, yet no one on the crowded train noticed because they were so focused on their smartphones and tablets. And in fact, they quote our district attorney, George Gascon, and says, they, these weren't concealed movements. This gun, it, it, you can see it in the, in the security footage. It, it, the gun is very clear, he, Gascon said. He said, the people are in very close proximity with him, and nobody sees this. They just, they're just so engrossed texting and reading and whatnot that they're completely oblivious of their surroundings. Then he talked about the, uh, the writer, she said, another recent attack on a blind man walking down the street in broad daylight in Philadelphia garnered attention because security footage later revealed that many passerbys ignored the assault and never even called 911. Commenting to a local radio station, Philadelphia's chief of police, Charles Ramsey, said that this lack of response was becoming, and he's quoted, more and more common. 
and noted that people are more likely to use their cell phones to record assaults than to actually call the police. Then she went on to say this. He says, you know, our use of technology has fundamentally changed not just our awareness in public spaces, but our sense of duty to others. That's an interesting thing. She says, engaged with the glowing screens in front of us rather than with the people around us, we often honestly don't notice what is going on, adding to the problem. So there's an honest fact that we're just not seeing things, we're not hearing things. But adding to the problem is the ease in which we can record and send messages, which encourages those of us who are paying attention actually to think firstly about documenting an emergency rather than actually dealing with them. That was fast. And then she goes on in the article to talk about a situation that occurred in, in New York not too long ago. In fact, she referred to this, this incident on the subway. It was a very different story. A man had fallen into the subway station and fallen on the tracks. And um, actually, right before uh, he was trying to climb out, he couldn't get out. And then all of a sudden, he turned around and he was hit by the car. The reason we know exactly what happened in addition to footage is somebody, a man, took a picture of the exact moment when he turned around to face the, the oncoming. And then he sold the picture to the New York Post who ran it on the front page. And it created a huge stir of controversy because people were questioning the ethics of how you could do that. And he says, look, part of what the, 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 the guy who took the photograph said, you know, if you look at my photograph, you'll see there's a whole lot of people that are a lot more closer than I was. And they weren't doing anything. And it really, and what it, one of the things it captures is, you know, how we have to really think through sort of what's happening in our culture right now and, and how some things are actually just really honestly, we're just not seeing things. And other times, what is happening that, that sort of, connects exactly with what Jesus was talking about here, the idea, what is our responsibility to help other people when we see something? And it really did create a very interesting question, both on a positive side and on a negative side. You know, I think how we see things, the things uh, that love does matters a whole lot. And, and again, what I'd like us to do is look at what Jesus taught us. And I'm not gonna, I'm gonna have us go back to the 10th chapter here of, of Luke. I'm not gonna go through everything in the exact details that we did because we've kind of covered the initial piece of this. But I, I want to get to something. I want to talk about love. I want to talk about how love shows up. And I want to look at Jesus' story. But it says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. He basically confronted Jesus. He said, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? You know, what is the most important thing? What does God really want from me? Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? You're an expert in it. You're a scribe, a religious student. Um, how do you read it? What's your take? How is your perspective define it. Man answered well, and he quotes very, something very similar to what Jesus had taught at different times. You must love the Lord your God. This is how I understand it. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then the other part of that, he, gives, he says, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. You have to love people. Love God, love people. And Jesus said, you know what? That's exactly right. In fact, if you just do that, you've got the answer. Just do what you just said. And that's where the conversation could have ended, and we would have never had the parable of the Good Samaritan. He would have said, yeah, yeah, thank you. But it didn't go that way. Something else happened. When Jesus said that, it bothered him. 
We're told this very specifically because it says, look at the next verse that follows. The man wanted to justify his actions, and so he asked the question. Now, what was he justifying? What do you, how did that even get on the board? Because Jesus didn't say anything like, do you know how you're living? Or have you looked at how you're loving? He didn't say anything. So all Jesus said was, just do what you just said. And it clearly, maybe it was the tone, maybe it was the way Jesus said it, maybe what was going on inside of his heart, but it bothered him. He felt like he had to justify himself. It was almost like he was saying, well, but, 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 but that, that's, you know, who is my neighbor? I mean, where, where do I draw my lines? How do I know who, who, is, who am I legitimately responsible for loving and who am I not as responsible for loving? If, I, if I'm supposed to love my neighbor, well, then who is my neighbor and who isn't my neighbor? And again, the idea of him wanting to justify himself, and maybe he, he had some mixed feelings about his own self when Jesus said it, because clearly he knew that there were some people he had not been loving to, and he had felt okay about that. But now something about the way that Jesus interacted with him, it bothered him. His conscience bothered him. And so he wanted to press Jesus further. And he says, well, let me ask you a question. How would you define who my neighbor is? And Jesus said, well, I'll define it this way. Let me tell you a story. And so it begins. He says, Jesus tells it this way. He says, there was this Jewish man who was travel, traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. We talked about the road to Jericho. And Jesus said, and this man was attacked. As you know, he, he, he was talking to a group of people who knew exactly what that would have been like because that road was notorious. That was a notorious place where people were jumped all the time. It was like a really bad area, and it was not uncommon for people to be robbed and beaten and even killed. And so Jesus was talking in front of a group of people who knew, who knew the vicinity of the area that he was talking about. He says this man was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes. Look at it. It says they, they beat him up at verse 30. And then they, just, they left him basically dying on the side of the road, stripped down even of his clothes. And that was the picture. Now, I, I thought it would be helpful, again, for us to have a, a kind of a map of, of what we're talking about. Again, this is a real place. This is, you can go the, there's a, a road there still today. Also, you can see where Jerusalem is in relation to Jericho. That road is what we're talking about. It was a real place. And if you look if you, even further, you can kind of, we have another picture of, of it. It sort of gives you a good idea of, you know, just sort of the terrain. And just try to imagine back even further into Jesus' day, you can get in a sense of how dangerous it really was, how desolate it was, how potentially alone you could really be. And in fact, part of the the fear and the scary part of this story is that he's so utterly alone, this victim, this man on the side of the road. He's just alone, utterly alone, bleeding to death, dying. And he's been so abused. And Jesus says, this is what was going on. And then he says, but you know what happened? He says, by chance, look at verse 31, there was a priest that came along, a man who worked in the temple in Jerusalem, and when he came by, he saw the man lying there, but maybe he was afraid, maybe he was too busy, maybe he thought, I can't avoid, I, I, can't, I can't get myself, you know, it, who knows, they could jump me, it could be a fake, I don't know. I, he basically, Jesus says, he went and passed by on the other side, and then notice there was a temple assistant. He walked over, and he looked at him lying there. This would be a Levite, another worker. But he, Jesus says, you know what, he looked closely at a little more, he said, a little closer he looked, but then he decided, God, I, I, and he also passed by on the other side, in which point the story could have ended right there as well. This is basically making the case that that's not loving your neighbor. But Jesus 
doesn't do that. He takes it one step further and he blows the whole thing into an entirely different direction. Nobody could have seen it coming. It would have been way controversial in that moment because Jesus introduces a third traveler who was passing by, a third man in the story. He says, this man, there was another man, oh, there was another man that was passing by. He says, that man, however, was a Samaritan. And the version says, a despised Samaritan. That was the implication. Someone a lot of you don't think a lot of. And he was passing by. Now, just again, I'd like to put that map back one more time. This is what this deal was with Samaria. And I, it's really helpful because even last week we talked a little bit about it. I kind of... Um, mixed up and said it was Babylon. It was actually Assyria who took over um, in 722 BC, the northern, what was known as the Northern Kingdom of Israel. And they took out in that region, you see where, okay, you see where the area is. You see where Jerusalem is in Judea. Judea is where we get our, the word Jew comes from Judea. In Samaria, right, is the middle spot. On top of that would have been the Galilee. You see where the Sea of Galilee is. See how the Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea? Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea for a reason. It has water coming in and nothing going out. That's also, by the way, a great lesson for all of us. Living things must not only have a, something that it takes in, it has to give it away. And, and Jesus talked a lot about that. But the idea of Samaria, it goes back, it was, that region was in the middle between Judea and the Galilee in the north, which is where Jesus came from. You see the Sea of Galilee. And in that region, what had happened was when Assyria had taken over in 722 B.C. and taken a large part of the Jewish population in the northern part of Israel away, they had intentionally taken that population out, and they left a few behind, a little bit behind, but then they repopulated with their own, some of their own um, citizens and of the, their kingdom, and it created a kind of grouping of people that were partly Jewish, sometimes half Jewish, but also something else, um, Syrian and they began to develop their own kind of identity, ethnic identity, uh, cultural identity, and they even had certain elements that they had borrowed. They had overlap of worship, but also distinctives. And so there, here's the bottom line. A tremendous amount of tension existed between the Samaritans and the Jews. There was deep-rooted. It went both ways. It had, again, ethnic components, religious components, social dynamics. So when Jesus says, oh, by the way, there was a Samaritan who was passing by, they all, that, that would have created a lot of interesting emotions right there. It was an interesting dynamic. But look what he goes on to say. He says, and that's this Samaritan, this despised Samaritan came along. When he saw the man, you know what he did, Jesus said? He felt compassion. And when he saw that man, he, he actually went over to him, Jesus said. And the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, you know, take care of this man. Uh, if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. This is the story Jesus tells. You know, I was looking at this and I'm going, you know, so much of life is unpredictable. Um, and we travel down our road. We will often find ourselves, not unlike the three travelers in Jesus' story, Right? Faced with decisions connected to other people who need our help and our attention. That's just a fact. Now, in the broadest sense, listen, it's people we maybe don't know or they're, they're far away or a stranger who needs to, our help, like, you know, someone on a BART platform or, you know, someone we just randomly come across or someone like our church has been helping with people across the seas who, who we are connected to, but we don't really know them that well. At least very few of us do. But we're helping 
or part of that. But a lot of times that certain person on the road, this is what I've been trying to say, it, yes, we can think of helping someone who we totally don't know, they're a total stranger, as being part of what this parable is getting at. But I want to say, do you know what? A person in, in need can also be someone who we know casually, someone who we know a little bit, someone maybe we know at church, we have a friendship, a modest one, we've, we've maybe are part of a ministry team, it might be someone we work with, we're a coworker, we don't know them really well, we know a little bit about them. Might be someone who's a neighbor. I have a casual relationship. I know them by name, but I don't really know too much about They may be a person who becomes someone in need. Yeah, I'm going to take it one more step further. And we talked about this too. Sometimes, sometimes that person is actually not just someone we don't know, not just someone who we know a little bit. It might actually be some, look, the person in need that we're supposed to be helping or loving is a person maybe very close to us maybe someone who is anything but a stranger to us. And the number one thing we're being called to do right now is to exercise the love of Christ in that relational context, in that relationship. So this is really important because here's why. The tendency is to sort of say, oh yeah, the Good Samaritan's about helping people we don't know. It is, but it's so much more, way more. Let's, so let's talk about, let's talk about, um, what love does, as Jesus taught us in this story. And just sit with it. Just in the few minutes that we have, let's just kind of put a couple of things up. The first two I'm going to put up will be real quick. It's easy to see of them, too. Number one, what are, we, what are we taught about love? We're taught that one of the things that love does is it sees with compassion, right? I think it's obvious. That's, look, I mean, it's clear that they all, think about this now for a moment. They all saw the wounded man. They all saw the man on the side of the road. But we're over, and I want to see the action in it, right? But, the, the, but it was the Samaritan alone who saw with compassion. And what does that mean? He, they all saw him, but the Samaritan in Jesus' story, his heart is affected by what he sees. So his heart is moved. There's, there's something about the way he feels about this man. It goes out to him. The poor guy, he needs help. I got to help him. See, that whole idea is his compassion compels him to respond. So he saw, they all saw the same thing, but he saw with compassion, Jesus said. But then secondly, we're told that he also just made a decision to act on that compassion. So he acted on what he felt. Love draws close. Notice again, what do the priest and the Levite do? The priest and the Levite, and I think this is fascinating the way Jesus tells it. He says, actually, you know what they did? They said they actually created distance. There is an action of distance in what he says, they actually went to the other side. He, and then he contrasts it and he says, but the Samaritan goes to, towards the man. So you see the difference. One pulls away and the other one pulls towards. Love draws close. And, and a lot of times I think with you and me, we, the irony of course, as is, is we're looking at this story, is that any one of these three, if any of them had an excuse to avoid the what Jesus said was a, a, a Jewish traveler injured on the side of the road, the one who had the real, if, if the Samaritan did. I mean, I can imagine him afterwards, you know, um, rationalizing uh, um, instead of, you know, just saying, well, you know, I mean, let his own people take care of him. I mean, I said, I'm not responsible for this man. This man, I bet you this man, he may not even like me. We don't get along. His, we, that's not what we, you know what? 
He wouldn't take care of me. I don't need to take care of him. Then walked away. But, but instead, what we're told here is that the Samaritan, look at it, is overtaken by compassion, and he sets aside his inclination to separation and refused to sort of use the prevailing social kind of reality as a justification for disengaging from it. It's almost like he's saying, I know, I, you know, I know everybody is sort of like opposed to one another here, and I know we don't get along, we've got history, um, but instead of using that as a rationalization to sort of justify justify him not doing anything, he instead says, you know what? I, I'm going to still go to this man. He needs help. That's beautiful because instead of leaving, he goes to and he went to him. Verse 34 says, he went to him because that's what love does. And again, the two who should have helped didn't. And the one who had the excuse, more likely of an excuse, not to did. And it's really Jesus gets their attention. And I think to draw near can be risky, can it? That's why we sometimes don't do it. A lot of times it makes us vulnerable. Why? Because we can be, we can be hurt. And I thought, you know what? It's true. The Samaritan, he could, have, he could have been victimized himself. It's absolutely possible. It had happened before. People on that road that we looked at, they would oftentimes set you up acting as if they were injured, that they were in trouble. You go to help them, and then they jumped you. And he could have very easily said, you know, that it would be, I can't take the risk. That seems to be what the other two guys were saying. I can't take the risk, you know. With myself, I'm vulnerable. And explains at least in part why they didn't do it. But when they decided, the priest and the Levite decided not to do anything, you know what they missed? One thing they missed for sure is they missed the blessing. And two, that's the best scenario. And at worst, it, Jesus says, at worst, it, it was hypocritical. And... I'll just say that there are going to be these times, if I can take it one step further, so many, how do I say, so many of our opportunities to love in the way that God wants us to are connected to what's happening around us in the dailiness of our life. It's sort of like, think of it this way. It's the road we're traveling on. We call that the road of, that's, that's our life. It's the road we travel on in this life. That is our road to Jericho. Our, our road to Jericho is the life we travel on. It's the daily life that I live. And along that daily life that you and I live, along that road, we are brought at times to situations where we are going to have to decide, am I willing to be um, a wounded healer? And I love that term, wounded healer, because it, it implies that we have our own wounds. And you guess what? We all do. There's not a one of us here who isn't struggling with something. That's just a fact. And, in, and, and we all have things that we've been hurt by. Some of us, our wounds are very open and very real. We ourselves feel the need to be bandaged and ministered to. But you know what? Every now and then, the Lord will say, even in your woundedness, which we all have. I know this. I mentioned that the technology that we have in the culture is an amazing thing. It allows us with, to, to experience things in ways that nobody ever could have imagined, honestly. I've said it before, but a lot of what our technology has given us today seemed like science fiction 100 years ago. And we take it for granted all the time. However, the downside or the scorpion side of this is that we maybe have never had a, a, a time in our culture where it's been so easy because of the overall toxicity of the culture, so easy to get addicted to things. Um, it happens all the time. 
and a lot of us have stuff that we're trying to get past. Part of our growth in the Lord is learning how to get better. Uh, there's so many things that we ourselves are working through. So we talk about the value of community, investing ourselves, praying for one another, committing ourselves to a life of growth, where some of us, we have stuff in us that, honestly, it's so damaged. It, the Lord, we love him, we believe in him, but he, it's a process of being made whole. And I guess part of the thing we might say every now and then is, well, you know, I got my own stuff. I can't really help anybody. But the fact of the matter is the Lord calls us to be wounded healers in his name. And that's reminded me there's been some times where I felt like, Lord, I am so not worthy in this moment to help anyone. And I don't mean a literal, I mean just it, from the way that I felt like God wanted me to show up in that situation with, I just feel like I got all my own, so much own stuff. I'm angry. I, I'm not settled. And I feel like just not in a good place, and then you're asking, and it's clear to me that we are being, I am being brought into a, a, a situation here, a conversation here, where I know, I know in my heart that you're wanting me to show up here and to, and to be present to this person, and yet part of me wants to run away from that. And, you know, and it was interesting, because it was Henry Nouwen, who was a, an author who made that phrase, the wounded healer, famous, and there was a quote that I came um, that I found from his that I actually put in your handout. It's on the left-hand side of the notes section there, and it really was helpful because this just—it so sounds simple, but it's actually very important for us to understand. He says every human being has a great yet often unknown gift to care, to be compassionate, to become—all of us do—to become present to the other, to listen, to hear, to receive. If that gift would be set free and made available. I mean, miracles could happen. Miracles could take place. And what I like about this quote is that it reminds us that loving our neighbor sometimes, sometimes, is actually sometimes less about doing something for someone and sometimes is actually more about being present with them. In fact, there might be times where the easier thing to do is to do something, but the harder thing to do is to be present. Sometimes what people really need for us is a willingness to draw near and to, how would I say it, um, to have real compassion that is willing to understand or at least seeks to understand. For some of us, courage will look like learning how to speak truth and even risk being hurt sometimes because we want to be honest in a relationship or honest in a situation. And so for us, the courage to follow Christ is going to look like speaking up when part of us just wants to avoid or run away. And we have a pattern, perhaps, of seeing that. For others of us, it's actually in, like someone in, in my life tends to be maybe what real love would look like sometimes is saying nothing and just listening and seeking to understand that, that there are times when the Lord doesn't want us to do anything, but it's just he wants us to be present, genuinely interested in listening in a non-judgmental attacking mode or defensive mode. That is, and for some of us, the Lord is actually asking us to do this. Sometimes the most loving thing we can do is exactly that. But if I can take it one step further and put this as a third piece here quickly, is that not only does, does love see with compassion, not only does love draw close, but you know what else love does? And it seems like it's the opposite, but it's not. It's a compliment. Jesus shows us that it, love has to show up in real, tangible ways. For example, you know, it's, let's be clear. The, the Samaritan's love, as Jesus shows it, is, was, in this case, it was evidenced by his willingness to serve the, to get his hands literally dirty. And that was important. It says that he, he went to the man and he started to, to 
you know, <laughs> pick him up. He, he's, ah, oh, man. Oh. And he started to wipe him and bandage him. And, and, and I, got, I have some oil. I, oh, and you know what? Here's the thing. I, I try to imagine in this situation to just have walked. It says when he, just to walk over to him and just go, oh, man, you look, you look really bad, dude. You're not in good shape at all. Hey, I'm going to pray with you right now. <laughs> and then, you know, maybe someone will show up on the back end of that prayer. <laughs> but I, you know, you, you see what I'm saying, right? So it's like, no, it, 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 he had to decide to, to actually get his hands dirty. Because, see, there, there was blood. There was dirt. We got to get, dude, Jesus says he's got rolled over. He's got blood and sweat. Just spit. What? He's just, he's just a mess. And I, I got to roll. He's just, I got to, oh, you're going to be okay. I imagine him, God, oh, uh, I'm hurt. Uh, you know, just everything about it. And you, and you, see, the, you see the adjectives there. What does it say? I mean, the, the adverbs, the verbs, really. He poured oil on him, right? He poured the oil. He poured it. He bandaged Right? He lifted. Those are act, that's action love does. Right? Yeah, come on, you can do this. Right? Come on, we get up here. That's, that's the picture we're being given. But I, I looked at it even more. I go, not only though is that showing, you know what else I was struck by was not only what Jesus said he did for the wounded man, but you, do you see this? Notice what Jesus emphasizes. It's, it's the way he did it, not just what he did. There was, you can, you can feel it in the words. There was a tenderness to it. Love is tender. It, think about what, what he's describing. Again, I go back to the picture because he invites us to see it. It's his story. He says, he takes the man up. He says, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know, I know. Let me, let me just clean you up. To me, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, you know, and, and, and just, it's going to be okay, right? That's the picture. I'm gonna be just going to bandage you up a little bit here. I'm going to lift you up. Don't worry about it. You know, we can, come on now. We can do it. Get him up on the, on the, on, uh, you can get up on here. Come on, right? Come on, help me up, right? That's the picture, right? And we're going to, I got to get you somewhere. Come on. We're going to go. That, here's the deal. It wasn't, like, rough. It wasn't like, oh, this, you're such a bother to me right now. Why do I have to do this? Right? I, I, I'll tell you right. You know what? He wasn't irritated. He wasn't rough. He didn't do what we sometimes, what I, he didn't do the right thing in a wrong way. Because, and I can say this, I have done. I have served because I knew I was supposed to, but I, I was irritated. Um, I don't want to do this at all, and I got my plans that I've made. Come on, get up, get up here, right? Get up, come on, we're going to get going now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like, what I love about it is once he made the decision to be present, he was truly present. We're not in a hurry, my friend. We're not in a hurry. You're going to be okay. I'm going to take you. 
And we, we are going to go. I know, I'm going to take you to a place. Come on now. You're going to get up here. I'm walking. I'm walking. And then he gets there, right? And see, that, that is, something like get this done as soon as possible so I can get on my way. He then says, listen, I need you to help me with this man. I'm going to try to take care of him as best as I can. He tells the innkeeper. And that, again, I looked at that and I go, oh. <laughs> you know, he didn't undermine the integrity of his service and decision to act compassionately by just rushing through it and doing it haphazardly, grudgingly, because he knew a part of him knew, I have to do this. I don't really want to do this, but I just feel like, you know, I got to do this. I wish I didn't have to, so let me help you, but I really don't want to, but I'm going to. And a lot of times we get in that situation too where we go along with it. We think, yeah, God wants me to do it. I know I should do it. Or they want my, or this person who's very important to me is asking me to do this. I'm going to do it but I don't really want to do it. I really don't even want to be here. So I don't know that. I, I understand that. I've, I've been there. We all have. But when we make a decision to love, may God give us grace to love that thing through properly so that we don't just roughshod our way through and undermine at least a part of the blessing it was meant to be. And God help us all and give us mercy to do better on this. And then last thing, last thing I'll say about it, and Jesus makes it clear, is that love goes the extra mile. I love this. You know what? He says to the innkeeper, I'm going to be here. I'm going to try to help as much as I can. Hey, listen, I'm going to have to go, but here, here's some money. This should cover his expenses. Now, if for some reason it costs more than what I've been giving you here, listen, you know my, my credit's good here, right? I'll pay you. I'll, when I come back, I will pay you. You put it on my tab, anything else that you need to charge. You just take care of this man after I have to go. That's the extra mile. That's like, there are going to be times when God is asking us to not only, there's sometimes when God's saying, you've got to get personally involved. There's other times with the Lord, when, when just doing something from a distance isn't enough. There are times where the Lord is going to ask us to, to serve some, someone humbly and tenderly. And I know a lot of us, I know this, and I'll say, I know a lot of us, the idea of being tender is hard. Because one, we never were given any. And it's hard, but that's part of sometimes growing as a follower of Jesus, is learning how to be tender in ways that are appropriate. Loving and kind, not exploitive or manipulative. It's a very different way of living this life. But every now and then the Lord will make it clear, I need you to listen. I need you to show up here. I need you to be present. You say you love me, then I need it to show up in your love for them. Come on now. Take that time. It's like Dwight L. Moody, and I, I put that little quote in the handout as well, the great precursor of Billy Graham in many ways. He said, you know, he said, I can hire a man to do some work, but spiritually speaking, I can never hire a man to do my work. And you know what I got out of that? I don't know, when I first started, I go, that hit me so that hit me so good. It was like, Lord, I cannot, if you're asking something of me, I cannot have anybody, it's about me responding to it. It's not somebody else, it's me. And that also implies that it's not our job to be deciding what everybody else's work is. Well, if they call themselves a Christian, well, that's not our job. Our job is our own self. What is the work he is asking us to do? I intentionally said, it may be someone we don't know. It may be someone we know a little bit. It may be someone we know very well. What is the Lord saying? What is he asking of us? 
What is he calling us to grow into? What is the love he's asking us to display? What is the Lord saying? Come on. This is the way of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I thank you. Uh, I love you myself. I pray that I would also grow in that. <sighs> grow. I need, we need your strength, Lord. Help us. We welcome your, your spirit, your presence, your words of life to come into our life. And so I just want to pray for a flow of grace and life that would affect generations of people. That we would grow in our capacities to love you better and to love others better. Pray that you bless our, our closing time. You know, bless the, our time of giving. Bless the song that we're ending with. Just let this be a really special moment to end with together. I just ask this, Lord. Keep working in our hearts and lives. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.